Good morning. I, um, I was thinking as we, uh, as I was preparing for this study this morning, and Kyle, I think, and just even in his prayer for the things that are going on in our world right now, it, it's a real reminder to us and of even in that song that we sang that the wrath of God was satisfied on that cross. And God's word tells us that when you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that you're not appointed to wrath. We've been saved from the wrath to come. And the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about God's judgments, about God's wrath being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And I think that we need to have these reminders before we get into these. And especially if you're here with us for the first time this morning, we're just in that section as we're going through the book of Revelation. We're in this section of the trumpet judgments uh, this morning. But before we do, last week, I asked you to raise your hand of how many of you had John 3.16 memorized. And praise the Lord, just about all of you raised your hand. But today... I want to remind you of something else before we get into the text. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Anyone have those two verses memorized? Raise your hand. All right. You might say, well, yes, I do once we look at it here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter says, Beloved, Speaking to Christians, do not forget this one thing. Aren't you glad it wasn't ten things? Do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He goes on to say, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. In other words, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. Or in other words, the Lord is not dragging his feet. When you think about the return of Jesus Christ, there are times that we might even think in our own hearts and minds, where's the Lord? Where is the Lord? Look at the world that we live in and we're just longing for the Lord's return But this is what we need to know. That our Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Aren't you glad that our God is long-suffering, that he's patient towards us? He's patient towards, really, The sinners in this world that don't know Christ, he's long-suffering and patiently waiting for that day that he only knows. He's not willing, it goes on to say, that any, I would circle that word any, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all, I would circle the word all, 
that all would come to repentance. You see, this verse tells me something about the very nature and character of who our God is. That he's a loving God. He's a patient God. He's not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That gives great hope for those of us that are praying for loved ones that don't know Jesus Christ. That we have a God that is long-suffering and patient. And he loves them as much as he loves us that know Christ. And so we pray. And so we look for opportunity. But with that said, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21. I titled this morning's message, The Sixth Trumpet. A demonic invasion. This section that we're in, as I already said, is a difficult section because it it speaks of God's judgments that are coming upon this earth. In chapter 8, verse 1, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, we see the angels and the saints that are in heaven, waiting in awe. They're anticipating in the moment what this seventh seal would bring forth. Six had already been opened. The seventh seal was now going to be broken and come forth. And we're told that in that moment that there was silence in heaven for about a half hour, just silence, anticipation, awe, just thinking about what had already come upon this earth, of what this seventh seal broken would bring forth. What John sees when the seventh seal is broken are seven angels that are standing before God And each one of them had a trumpet to their mouth. John sees another angel. And this other angel had a golden censer that he was holding in his hand. And he comes and he stands before the golden altar of incense. Where he begins to wave the censer that is filled with incense. And it represents the prayers of of all of the saints. And my prayer would be that that might be some of my prayers that have gone up for some of my loved ones and your prayers and all of those martyred tribulation saints that are lifting up their prayers before God. How long, O Lord, do we have to wait until our redemption, until those that have persecuted us and killed us and come up against us, that those things would be fulfilled? This angel, we're told he takes this censer that is filled with fire from the altar. These coals that were taken from the altar, placed within the censer. And he begins to swirl that thing around and we're told that he throws it to the earth. And then we're told after that that there were noises, 
thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake that followed. All words that I speak, I think, speak of the judgments that are coming upon this earth. We read in verse 6, So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets were told that they prepared themselves to sound. The first trumpet that we read already in verse 7 says that hail and fire followed the blowing of this trumpet. It was mingled with blood, we're told. And they were thrown to the earth. And then we're told that one-third of the trees were burned up. And all of the green grass was burned up. The second trumpet was blown. It sounded in verse 8 and 9. And John heard something like a great mountain. He saw something, excuse me, like a great mountain. It doesn't say that it was a mountain. It says that it was like a great mountain burning with fire and is thrown into the sea. And we're told that one-third of the sea became blood. And one-third of the living creatures in the sea dies. And one-third of the ships are destroyed. The third angel sounds in verse 10 and 11. And John sees a great star that falls from heaven burning like a torch. And it falls on one-third of the rivers and on the springs, which is the fresh water of the earth. And it makes them bitter or makes them poisonous. And we're told that many people died from the water. The fourth angel sounds his trumpet in verse 12. And the heavens are struck. One-third of the sun, one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars, and a third of them, we're told, were darkened. A third of the day did not shine like the night. Diminished light upon the earth, growing darker and darker as things progress. And then John sees in verse 13, he sees an angel. Some of your translations may read an eagle. He sees an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And as I shared last week, when we see a woe, and we see a triple woe, that just tells you and I that things are about to get worse. Three woes were still remaining and they were about to sound. Last week we looked at the fifth trumpet in chapter 9 verse 1 to 12. It begins with the fifth angel sounding the fifth trumpet. The first woe that was spoken of. John sees a star who had fallen from heaven to earth and to him was given the key 
to the bottomless pit. And as I shared last week, I believe that the, what we're speaking of, what's being spoken of here is Satan himself being given the key to the bottomless pit. After this angel opens the bottomless pit, John sees smoke coming out of the shaft of this pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And then from out of the smoke that was arising from it, we're told that the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And John sees this massive horde of locust-like creatures coming out of the smoke and covering the earth. And we're told that power was given unto them as the scorpions of the earth have power. I believe that what we read last week is speaking of a demonic horde. These are not your typical locusts, but these are demonic in their nature, and they're going out to torment people for five months. These locusts, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree. That's not your typical locust. That's what they like. But only to hurt and to torment those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now we know that the 144,000 that we already read about are sealed by God, protected by God during this time. As John begins to look closer at these locusts, it becomes clear that they're not your ordinary locusts. These locust creatures, we're told, were given authority by God to torment people, but not those who had been sealed. These locusts had a king over them. His name, we're told here in the text, his, his name means destroyer. And in the Hebrew, it's a bad And in the Greek, it's a polyon. Names that I believe are attributed to Satan himself. And that's just the first woe. We come to verse 13. And things, when he, John was thinking maybe things could, couldn't even get worse than what he saw, it gets worse. The first was only to hurt men, to torment men, but the second will be to kill. We see that each time a trumpet sounds, the judgment that follows appears to be more severe in what it brings forth. More severe than the previous one. Why does God do that? Why is God doing this? And as, as I shared last week, I believe even in these judgments, God is showing forth his mercy upon this earth that, that those upon the earth, those that have rejected Christ, might turn in repentance towards him. God's mercy upon this earth. He's a merciful God. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
we see that each time a trumpet sounds, the judgment which follows is more severe. But when you get to chapter 16 of Revelation, and we'll get there, unless we're in heaven by then, we're going to be reading about the vile and the bold judgments that are going to be poured out upon this earth. And it's even going to be worse. You see, like the plagues that came upon Egypt in the Old Testament, and with each passing judgment that came upon Egypt, it got worse and worse. You see, God was dealing with hard hearts, hearts that were becoming even harder. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart became harder and harder. It was already hard, and God strengthened his hard heart even by these judgments. He became even more stubborn as the severity of these plagues increased. It's what we're going to see when we continue on throughout the book of Revelation. Pride's an ugly thing, isn't it? Pride, for all of us here, it should scare us. We should be scared by the pride that we see in our own hearts at times. And it's amazing to me of how hard and how unrepentant a person's heart can be. Unwilling to heed the voice of the Lord. Unwilling to turn away from sin. Unwilling to turn in repentance towards God. We're going to see that in our text this morning. The unwillingness of a hard heart to turn to God. Look at your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 13. Let's read this text together. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents. 
having heads and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And then look at verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. That's how this section ends. I mean, when I read, this is, this is a section, if it wasn't the fact that I knew the Lord, and I know what the end is going to be, and I know the victory shout that I already have, that would be very depressing for somebody that didn't know the Lord. That would be fearful, and as a matter of fact, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But we have a God who is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's pouring out his mercy. Even in these judgments, would you turn to me in repentance? Back in verse 13, John's eyes are now directed back to that, hate, that same heavenly altar that we saw in chapter 8 and verse 3 and 4, where the prayers of the saints ascended up before God, and now he hears a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which are before God. John is seeing this scene in heaven. He's seeing this altar that is before God in heaven. This Four horns that are part of that altar that was sitting there before the Lord. It's possible by this time in our text here in, in Revelation that the earthly altar in that third temple, which I believe is going to be rebuilt during the tribulation period that's going to be there in Israel, there on the Temple Mount, this third temple that it's already been desecrated by the Antichrist. That happens, we know from Scripture, in the middle of the tribulation period. And now John hears a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. This is a heavenly altar. This is not the altar, the earthly altar that will be here on earth. So what are the four horns of the altar? Well, if you look back into the Old Testament, the horns spoke of God's mercy. We read in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 50, it says, After the death of King David, we know that his son Adonijah, who was the fourth son of King David, that he, after his father died, he exalted himself and said that I'm going to be king. And then that became known to Solomon, who was to be the appointed king. 
and he became afraid. We're told that Adonijah, after he was found out that he was going to rise up and take that leadership as king of Israel, that he arose in fear. And he went and he took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told, uh, and it was uh, told Solomon saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. You see, Adonijah was crying out for mercy, grabbing hold of the four horns on that altar and crying out for mercy. But now John hears a voice coming from the horns, we'll call them, of mercy. But the words that he hears are not of mercy, but of judgment. You see, the time of mercy will eventually come to an end. There will be a time where God will stop striving with mankind. That God will allow man to run his course. Here we have this time that is coming now. Where God's mercy is running thin. The altar of mercy is now, we might say, the altar of judgment. John hears this voice. It doesn't even tell us whose voice, but I'm going to say it's probably God's voice. And it says in verse 14, it says, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, this voice says, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. Notice that it's God that allows the four angels to be released. This isn't a prison break. These angels are bound by God. God has the ability to bind some of the angels. And we already learned last week that some of those angels in the bottomless pit have been bound and are still bound there in the bottomless pit or the abyss. These angels, these four angels, I believe again, like last week, are demonic. They're demonic angels. And one of the reasons why I believe they're demonic, and they're not God's messengers, but demonic angels, is because they're bound. We don't find anywhere in Scripture where God's messengers or God's angels are bound. These angels are bound. But we read last week in Jude chapter 1 verse 6, it says that the angels who did not keep their proper domain, meaning that they followed after Satan and a third of them were cast out of heaven, along with Satan, but left their abode there in heaven. And he has, God has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. 
We're in that great day here in our text in the time of the tribulation period. The judgment of that great day. We also can see again here God's complete sovereign control over all principalities, over all the powers, over all the rulers of the darkness of this age, the spiritual host of wickedness that is out in our world, all around this, in this world, even as we are here, those demonic forces are there. We may not see it with our physical eyes, but they do exist. You see, God is the one that gives the authority to these demonic angels to kill. God is going to use even these demonic angels to kill. We're not told how these angels are bound or how they're even released. But what we do know is that God has kept them bound for this very hour. God's in control. Never forget that. As you read the book of Revelation, never forget that what is being orchestrated here, God is in control. Remember, even with Judas Iscariot, the night that he, he betrayed Jesus, we're told that for Judas, that his hour had come. And Jesus told Judas that night, he says, Judas, go do what you must do. For three years, we know that Judas walked with the Lord. But now the time had come that Judas was going to betray Jesus into the hands of sinners. The time was now. The hour had come. And as we continue through the book of Revelation, it's becoming very clear that the hour of God's judgment has come. It's the day of the Lord. The whole seven-year tribulation period is the day of the Lord. The time has come. The day has come for God to pour out upon this earth, this Christ-rejecting world. He's going to pour out His judgments upon this earth. Look at verse 15 in your Bibles. So the four angels who had been prepared, or we might say that the ones that had been prepared for this special purpose. You see, God just had four of them that were bound there at the river Euphrates. They'd been prepared for this day, for this time, for this purpose. It goes on to say, and look how precise it is, for the hour and day and month and year. And then we're told that they were released to kill a third of mankind. Very specific, isn't it? The hour, the day, the month, and the year. 
to kill a third of mankind? Very specific. And when these four angels are released, it appears that they're the ones that are leading what I believe is a demonic army who are going to go out and kill a third of the remaining people that are on the earth. I didn't say that. God's word said it, by the way. This is God's word. He says this is what's going to happen. One third of the remaining world population will be killed. Remember, we already saw under the fourth seal judgment, going back to that first set of seven seals, under the fourth seal in Revelation 6-8, we read about the pale horse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Do you remember what the pale horse represents? Death. The power was given unto them over a fourth of the earth. And then it tells us how this pale horse, how this judgment would come forth to kill with sword. We know that before that there was war, the, the, the horse of war. With hunger, the black horse, the scales, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. I started thinking about these numbers. Sometimes we get lost when we start getting up into the realm of millions and billions. But if you didn't know it, the world right now has about 8 billion people living on it. I said, well, how many Christians are in the world? God only knows, doesn't he? I can't even really put a figure to that. But I can tell you that Christianity today, if they know anything on that, they put it at about 2 billion Christians in the world if you take out all the nominal groups that are out there. If the rapture removes the 2 billion people, you got about 6 billion people in the world if the rapture happened today. Under the seal judgment, one quarter of that would be 1.5 billion people that die. That leaves about 4.5 billion people in the world. Under the judgment that we're reading here, a third of the remaining population, another 1.5 billion people, which leaves about 3 billion people left in the world by the time we get to this trumpet judgment that is being unleashed. However that's, you know, accurate those numbers are or not, we're talking about a lot of people. We're talking about something that the world has never seen before. That kind of death. We read... Under these trumpet judgments, it, it all, it, everything was in a third. A third of the trees, a third of the green grass, a third uh, of the creatures that perished in the sea, a third of the ships that were destroyed, a third of the rivers, a third of the sun, moon, and stars. 
And then in this fifth and sixth trumpet, mankind was tormented for five months by this demonic horde of locusts. And the sixth trumpet, one-third of the remaining population is killed, I believe, by a demonic army. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. This is before Jesus went back into heaven, before the cross. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, for then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The elect, I believe, speaking of the Jews during the tribulation period. For the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Why? Because God is going to save a remnant of his people, Israel by the end of the tribulation period. Now look at verse 16. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, John says. In other words, it's too many to count. But I heard the number. And the number is 200 million. Again, when I read this, I'm not going to spiritualize it. Some do. Some put, you know, some army, you know, earthly army to this. They put this weaponry that we have today to this section of scripture. But as I read it, I, I, to me, because I can't, I'd have to speculate and then tell you this is truth, and I won't do that. And so I read it for what it says. I'm going to take it literally that this is a little, literal army of horsemen that is in the amount of 200 million. Now I want you to wrap your head around that number for a moment. It could actually be speaking like this, literally that it was two hundreds of myriads of myriads or in other words, a countless number that John was seeing. Like what we read in Revelation 5.11, when John saw the number of those who were in heaven now, those that had been martyred, those that had been saved, during the tribulation period, and he says he's, it was the number that he saw was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. In other words, it's a multitude of people that no one could number. Praise the Lord. There's going to be people saved during the tribulation period. But again, we have a portion of scripture where good Bible expositors have given interpretation to these chapters. And they speak of them as a human army. A human army coming to battle, coming to war. And I would, uh, even though I respect 
those opinions, and some of you maybe have had those opinions and thoughts. It's not what I see. Some have thought that this is a real human army uh, that's been possessed by demons. Okay? Others see these as a human army being driven by demonic influence. Well, I mean, okay. But again, I see that even those, if you speak of them as truth, it's speculation. It doesn't tell me that it's a human army. And when I read about the four angels that are leading this army, which I believe are demonic angels, and they're the ones that are here, then I believe that the army they're leading is demonic also. It, it, that makes better sense to me. That this demonic army is following the lead of these demonic angels. Some have thought that this is the same army that we're going to read about in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. This army from the east that's spoken of at the battle of Armageddon, at the end of the tribulation period, some have said that this army from the east is China, for they have boasted in the past of the ability to man a 200 million man army. But there are many people and many people that are in this, uh, uh, that know these numbers in, in military circles that say that's probably humanly impossible. One commentator summarized why these 200 million are demons and not Chinese, as he put it. Four things should be noted. First, they are led by fallen angels. Number two, the location of the army is stated to be the Euphrates, which has a history where Babylon is located, has a history of, of all kinds of demonic things that go, went on in Babylon, the whole area of Babylon. We're going to see the destruction of Babylon later on in Revelation. Number three, the description given in the text rules out his army being human. The description that we're going to read of, it rule, or that we read, rules that out. And fourthly, the kings of the east are not connected with this at all. It all has to do sometimes with people trying to come up with an answer of how to figure this out. One general by the name of William K. Harrison, an expert in military logistics, an army of 200 million could not be conscri conscripted supported, or moved to the Middle East without totally disrupting all societal needs and capabilities. As General Harrison brings out on this aspect of Revelation, God has made men with certain limitations in the actual rising and transporting of an army of the size spoken of in verse 16 
completely transcends human capability. All the Allied and Axis forces at the peak of World War II were only about 70 million men. That's taken from the World Almanac. Thus it seems better to understand the vast numbers and description of the horses as indicating a demonic horde. Makes sense to me. I just read it for what it says, and I'm giving it to you that way. Look at verse 17 in your Bible. He's going to give this more details into the description of these, this army. And thus I saw horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red. Hithinus, you say it. Thank you. And sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. I don't even know what that really will look like. It's what it says in my Bible. And I read it and I go, but I I, I can't wrap my head around really what that will look like. But that's what it says. But it goes on to say that in verse 18, by these three plagues, so they're plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. Again, I showed you that picture last week of, you know, the helicopter, the Apache helicopter and you know, they're gun, gunships and they have the, they shoot and they have the tail and they have all, you know. And people have tried to attribute all these kinds of things to our modern day equipment. But 1.5 billion people being wiped out by our military equipment, hard to wrap your head around that. It's easier for me to wrap my head around the thought that this is demonic. That God is allowing this demonic horde to invade. In closing, we see that two-thirds of the remaining world population who have survived These plagues are told they do not repent. They will not repent. They do not repent. That's alarming. When you think about the hardness of heart, the unwillingness to turn to a God that is unleashing these things upon the earth, And by this time, I would have to, this is supernatural. This is not every day that they would be turning in repentance and crying out for mercy upon God, from God. The verse 20 tells us, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent. They didn't repent of the works of their hands, 
that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They, even during this time, continuing on in idolatry, satanic worship, everything other than God. Do you know that there are many people in the world today, right now, that when you're gone as a Christian from this earth, they're going to be rejoicing? They did that with the two witnesses. We're going to read about that. The two witnesses, when they're killed, they rejoice. They'll rejoice when you're gone. Many will. Verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders. They did not repent of their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or of their thefts. He's specifically calling out these particular areas. I went on and looked at all of these areas to a limited degree. And every one of them, you can find loads of things saying that all of these are on the rise. I don't even think you need to look it up. Are murders on the rise in the world? Oh, yes, they are. Is sorceries, which is illicit drugs, drug use, is it on the rise? Uh-huh. Better believe it. You know, is sexual immorality in our world today on the rise? Yes, it is. Are thefts? Yeah, just turn on your news. <laughs> I mean, just in the United States, are thefts on the rise. What will this world be like when the church is removed? <laughs> Ooh, what will it be like? And I think that even the multitude of people that are going to be killed during this time, it's, it's going to stand as a witness against them. It's going to be a witness against them. They had time to repent, but they would not repent. They wouldn't turn to God. That will be the witness against them. You had opportunity, and you would not repent. hearts and hard hearts getting harder it's not a softening of the hearts that's taking place it's a hardening of man's hearts like Pharaoh's heart becoming harder and harder when we get to Revelation chapter 16 Verse 8, we're going to read about the bold judgments. It says, A fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And we're told that they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and they did not give him glory. And then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. And it says, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. 
wouldn't. Repentance from God is a gift. Gift to mankind. It's a gift that's been given to you from God. That you turned in repentance to God. And got saved. When somebody rejects that gift of repentance. The ability to get their heart right. There is no salvation. It'll never come. But our God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Keep praying, church. Keep praying for your loved ones. Keep being a witness to those people that you're around in your world every day. Be bold for Jesus Christ. Open your mouth. Tell them that these things are coming. There's a time that we need to express the love of God and there's a time that we need to warn. Both are necessary. I'll close with Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, we, we thank you for the written word of God that you've given to us, Lord. You have told us the beginning of your creation and you have given us the end of your creation and we thank you that everything in between the beginning and the end has that thread of redemption Lord that runs from the first book of the Bible all the way to the last book of the Bible that thread of redemption that runs all the way through this book of love for mankind. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that's not right in their heart with you, doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they'd be saved today. Today would be the day of salvation. That they wouldn't put off till tomorrow what they could do right now. For their life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment and it vanishes away. Lord, that... If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, they would heed that warning. But that they would be drawn to the love of Jesus Christ that wants to save them from their sin. Father, I pray for anyone that's not walking right or walking in compromise, Lord, that we would put those things aside and in repentance before you, that we would confess those things even now. Lord, that we would set our hearts right before you. Because, Lord, if you were to come back today, Lord, we don't want to stand ashamed before you. We want to be in the right heart, in the right mind before you. We want to see you face to face and not be ashamed in that day. Lord, would you convict our hearts as Christians for our compromise and things in life 
Lord, that we would set them right before you now. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.